Some unexpected things can happen on a night out. You may get more drunk than you thought you'd get, plans may change, and you could meet new people that leave a lasting impression. People may warn us to be careful, but we never and should never expect anything bad to happen to us. But sadly, the most innocent of night outs can result in tragedy. Three young women back in the 1960s went out for a night of dancing, socialising and drinking, but would never return home thanks to one killer who has never been caught. Join me and Aaron from the Files Obscura podcast as we uncover the Bible John murders. Hello and welcome to the 41st episode of Uncover True Crime podcast. My name is Stephanie and each week we uncover a different unsolved true crime case ranging from unsolved murders, missing persons, Jane and John Doe's and suspicious deaths. You can listen to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and other podcast streaming apps as well as on YouTube by searching Uncover True Crime. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Uncover underscore pod, on Instagram at Uncover True Crime pod or you can join the Uncover True Crime discussion group on Facebook. As you would have heard in the introduction we have a guest or should I say a friend of the podcast actually because we've collaborated before. Hello Aaron. Hi how you doing? I'm good how are you? Little sleepy, overworked, underpaid, I'm alive. <laughs> good, good. <laughs> For anyone that hasn't listened, me and Aaron collaborated a few months ago, wasn't it? I can't remember the exact number of the podcast, but it was a few months ago. I can't but it was the Jackie Sutton case was the one that we yeah. first did for you, which was a fascinating case because I'd always wanted to look into uh, uh, reporters before. Uh, which for some reason I still haven't done on my show yet. I don't know why, but uh, no, it's like, because I believed at the time whenever we covered Jackie Sutton, um, I, we were talking about not just her case, uh, but briefly we mentioned, uh, uh, or at least I know I mentioned a couple other stories uh, that you hear about other reporters that go missing, especially in the Middle East and stuff all the time. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's crazy. You know, sometimes we have answers to what happened though. But in like like we said in the case of Jackie, we've got no clue. I know it's a it's a very frustrating frustrating case, but it was a really good episode. I've just checked; it was episode twenty. I released it back in June, so if you've not listened to that, go over and listen to it now. And I was also on the Files Obscura podcast as well. Uh, yeah, I'm I, I'm going to be honest; just like I can't remember what episode it was. I'm looking through right now. <laughs> it was about. A couple of men that I want to say that they die on the mountain and were found with funny masks on. I know exactly which one you're talking about now. It was the lead mask case of Vintame Hill. That was it. Yeah, the one that happened in uh, Brazil in uh, 1965, where we dipped into a, a couple cases of, of uh, some spiritualist scientists, as they called themselves. And uh, that's about as much as we know because they kept their information so secretive. We don't know what they were actually trying to do with any of the stuff that they were building. But uh, long story short, uh, there was two men who uh, were found dead atop of a hill with these lead masks covering their face. And uh, they had these uh, notes written in their pockets that, you know, gave the inclination that they were awaiting some sort of visitor. But there was no signs of these visitors. And as they dug into their lives, they uncovered stories of, of these spiritual scientists and experiments that they were trying to do, contact, you know, people on Mars and stuff. And it was just really out there kind of stuff yeah it's a case that to this day was still not solved 
it was really, really interesting. So go on over to Files Obscura, listen to their podcast and all their episodes. Um, they're really, really good. And thank you, Aaron, for um for coming back on the podcast. Absolutely. It's a joy working with you and I, you know, wanna keep I can wanna keep collaborating in the future. You're very fun. I love the show and the content that you make. It's just very well informed. It's very well researched, and that's what I like. Thank you very much. Um, same for for your podcast. It's a d- different format slightly to mine, but um, I I really I really enjoyed collabing and listening to all your episodes. So yeah, thank you. We're we're uh, definitely a little more loose with everything. Uh, yeah, but but uh, that's because I wanted to drive more conversation than just be informative. That's why. Absolutely, absolutely. But um, it's it's great. I really, really enjoy your podcast. So, without any further ado, let's uncover the Bible John murders. Glasgow is the biggest city in Scotland and is home to beautiful tourist attractions and stunning landscapes that is featured in several movies and TV shows, including the Harry Potter franchise, the Outlander series, World War Z, and the Da Vinci Code. Unfortunately, all of Glasgow's highlights and accomplishments are overshadowed by its gang crimes drug mortality rates, and crime statistics, and was at one time named the murder capital of Europe. It was also the place where a man only known as Bible John killed three women back in the 1960s. The first known victim of Bible John was a 25-year-old night shift nurse called Patricia Docker. She was married to Alex Docker and they had a son also called Alex. Patricia and Alex were having issues in their marriage, so Patricia and her son had temporarily moved back in with her parents while they decided whether they wanted to make their separation permanent. On the 22nd of February 1968, Patricia planned to go out to the dancing, as us Scots like to call it, and told her parents she was going to the Majestic Ballroom. It is unclear if her plans changed or if she deliberately lied to her parents about where she was going, as she never made it to the Majestic Ballroom. Instead, she went to the Barrowland Ballroom a club that had a less than stellar reputation. That night was her over-25s night, or as it was more commonly known, grab a granny night. When she left her parents' house, Patricia was wearing a yellow woolen dress, a grey duffel coat with a blue fur collar, brown shoes, a brown handbag, a watch and her wedding ring, none of which were found with her body that was discovered the next day, just five minutes away from her parents' home. DC MacDonald, who was one of the first officers to respond to the discovery, said this about the scene, quote, The body was lying with the head towards us. Initially, we thought it was a man because of the thin build, but when I got closer, I could see it was female. She was completely naked, and there was no sign of her clothing. She was lying on her back, with the head turned to the right, unquote. The postmortem determined that she had been strangled, probably with a belt, and there was additional injuries to her face and head. There are conflicting reports on whether she was sexually assaulted, but as we get further into the case, it will become clear that the motive for the attack was probably sexual in nature. Police never found Patricia's clothes, and despite the police's best efforts, they couldn't find the person who had taken her life. But a year and a half later, they would find another victim. On the 15th of August, 1969, 32-year-old Jemima McDonald left her three children with her sister so she could enjoy a night out on the town. She spent the evening in the Barrowland Ballroom and was seen talking to a tall, slim man with fair hair wearing a blue suit. She left with this man at around midnight and would never be seen alive again. Her sister Margaret was worried when Jemima didn't return to pick up her children the next day 
and tried to remain hopeful. Even after hearing rumors that the local kids had found a body in a derelict building on McKeith Street, just a 15-minute walk from the from the Barrowland ballrooms. Hours turned into days. Jemima didn't return all weekend, and Margaret couldn't stop thinking about the body that the kids had supposedly found. So she went to check it out for herself, and that's when she found her own sister's body. Jemima was fully clothed, but her handbag had been stolen, and she had been sexually assaulted. Police questioned people who had been at the Barrowland the night Jemima was murdered, but other than a vague description of the man she left with, they didn't have any information that would have helped them find Jemima's killer. Her family were desperate to find the man who had left her kids without a mother. So they posted a reward for information and a female police officer took part in a reenactment where she wore clothes similar to those Jemima had been wearing and retraced her known movements. But still, police had very little to go on. Sadly, the next lead in the case came in the form of another dead woman who had been killed in a strikingly similar fashion. Helen Puttick and her sister Jeannie went on a night out on Halloween night 1969. They started off at the Trader's Tavern and then made their way to, you guessed it, the Barrowland Ballroom, just after 10pm. When they arrived, they started chatting to two men, both called John. The man Jeannie talks to, now known as Castle Milk John, after the suburb of Glasgow he claimed to be from, told her that he was a slater and they danced the night away. Helen and a man later dubbed as Bible John sat together and talked for most of the night. Jeannie didn't catch Bible John's last name, but a witness claims it was something along the lines of Sempleson or Templeman. The two sisters met back up at the end of the night, and while Castle Milk John decided to get a bus home, Bible John, Helen and Jeannie shared a taxi. Helen said that Bible John was a handsome man who stood around 5 foot 10 inches tall, had red hair and overlapping front teeth, and was wearing a single-breasted suit with leather boots. Helen noted that his attire was not common amongst the usual Barrowland clientele, saying, quote, He wasn't the Barrowland's type. Many of those who used to go were kind of rough or drunk, but he was nice, very nice, polite and well-spoken. Unquote. On the taxi ride home, he spoke about the rivalry between the Celtic and Rangers football fans, one that to this day is rife with religious undertones, as the founder of Rangers was Protestant and the Celtic founder was Catholic. He spoke about the violent rivalry, quoted the Bible several times, particularly how it pertains to adulterous women, and said that clubs like the Barrowland were, quote, dens of inequity, unquote. In an attempt to change the subject, Jeannie asked what his plans were for Hogmanay, the Scottish term for New Year's Eve, to which he replied, quote, I don't drink, I pray, unquote. Bible John insisted that the taxi driver drop Jeannie off at her home first, which was in Yoker, before taking Helen to her home in Scotstoun, despite the fact that the taxi would have to drive past Helen's house on the way to Jeannie's. Nevertheless, Jeannie got out of the taxi that night and didn't know that she had seen her sister for the last time. The next day, Helen's body was found in the back garden at the rear of her tenement flat. She was naked and had been badly beaten, and like Jemima MacDonald, she had been strapped with her own stockings. She had been sexually assaulted as traces of semen and bite marks were found on her inner thigh. Her handbag was missing, but its contents were scattered around the scene 
and a used sanitary towel was deliberately placed under her arm, a detail that we will come back to later. Helen had fought hard against her killer, evident by the grass stains on the bottom of her feet. Police believe she even tried to climb over a railway embankment that ran behind her home. Police immediately noticed the similarities between the murders and announced that they were looking for one man in relation to all three. The same man who had gotten into the taxi with Helen and Jeannie. A man that would be nicknamed Bible John. Police left no stone unturned in the search for Bible John. 260 tailors were asked if anyone had recently bought a suit matching the one Bible John was seen wearing. Over 900 doctors and dentists were interviewed as police tried to identify the killer through the bite marks he left on Helen. And in excess of 400 barbers were asked if they had any customers with his hair color and style. But this didn't lead to any new suspects. Jeannie also mentioned that the killer had bragged about getting a hole-in-one on a golf course recently. So investigators looked into members of local golf clubs and still nothing. Over 5,000 people were questioned in the first year alone but no arrests were made. Jeannie worked with a sketch artist and a detailed sketch of Bible John was released to the public. A milestone in police Scotland's history, as it was the first time a police sketch had been released to the public, but not everyone was convinced that the sketch was accurate. Detective Chief Inspector Brian McLaughlin is one of those people saying, quote, it was a busy place and the stewards had to know their stuff. The man in charge was particularly good at his job and he had a good memory for faces. The man who left the ballroom with Bible John's third victim, Helen Puddock, got into an argument with him over some money that was stuck in a cigarette machine. It was a dispute over 10 pence, which sounds ridiculous now, but it was the price for a pint those days. Eventually, the man agreed to come back the next day and collect his money when the machine had been emptied, but of course, he never did. The manager was never happy with the painting, both facially or the color of his hair. I was very impressed with him as a witness, unquote. Police did everything they could, but Glasgow is home to over half a million people and a lot of them might fit the physical description. Criminologists have studied Bible John with the hopes of creating a profile of him to aid in the investigation, and one of them is Professor David Wilson from Birmingham City University. He believes the killer dumped Patricia's bag in a river cart as it was on his way home, saying he was probably very familiar with the area as it was not possible to hear the river from the crime scene, so he knew it was there. He speculates that he possibly continued south into a suburb where he lived, or at least knew someone who he could stay with for the night. The suburbs he specifically named as possibilities were Cathcart, Griffnook, Croftfoot, Rutherglen, Cumberslang, and Castlemilk. This seems likely as it is where his acquaintance Castlemilk John was from and there are numerous golf courses scattered around the area. He believes that Bible John was not ashamed of what he had done as there was no effort to conceal the bodies. All three women were found out in the open. He implied that Bible John could have a quote, warped but nonetheless an acute sense of morality unquote, and use religion as a way to justify killing the women. He could have believed all the women were adulterous since they were married and willing to leave the club with him. Before we delve into the theories surrounding this case, let's go over the similarities between the cases. All three women were attractive, young, and brunette. They were all picked up at the barrel and ballroom and were raped before being strangled and beaten. Another bizarre similarity that all three women share is that they were on their period when they were killed and their sanitary product was left at the scene, even though he undressed two of the women and took their clothes and handbags from the scene. So, Aaron, what are your initial thoughts on the case and on the three murders? Well, it's weird because my my thoughts, you know, as we're going through the case and everything, isn't initially for me to think about the victims. 
But one line that we read earlier that um, we a uh, possible theory that he was killing these women as he saw them adulterous because they were married and and, you know, going through problems and et cetera and whatnot is my thoughts is that the Bible, John, so far, three for three, you find him in the barrel and ballroom, you know, three for three. He kills adulterous women. But you don't just find these women like you don't just know them. So I'm I'm wondering, you know, how many people, how many women probably knew Bible John and hang, hung out with him and survived and had a great night with him and then just forgot because it's just one of those things that one of those little, you know, unimportant things that just slip your mind, you know, and human and human memory being such a fickle thing, I can understand why it's, it's not something most people would remember, you know, especially even after seeing his, uh, the sketch. You know, so I'm just wondering how many people, you know, got really close, you know, to this guy and how many more victims there could have been, you know. And so it leads me to wonder what exactly are, is the details that for Bible John said that this woman deserves to die. You know, and you can pick up some things here and there, such as the fact that they were all in their periods. Like we said earlier, they were already, you know, married women or they had ch uh, children, you know. So I'm just asking myself, like, what were the things that for John, Bible John, you know, what were the things that pissed him off, you know? I think that's really interesting because I thought the exact same thing. Like, there seems to be something that triggers this because um, we'll, we'll get into this later that personally, I'm not convinced that someone like this would only kill three people and then stop. But as far as the Barrel and Ballroom murders and these three specific murders, there seems to have been something very specific that's triggered him. And while the fact that they were all on their period at the time of their death, while that alone could absolutely be pure coincidence, the fact that he left their sanitary product, A, at the scene, when he took everything else from from them, and the, with with the exception of Jemima McDonald, but he stole items from them, but left that, and even with with Helen Puttick, it was very deliberately placed under her arm. It wasn't merely just discarded out of the way. It seems really bizarre to me um, as to yeah, yeah. if there's if there's any relevance to that, or if it is a pure coincidence well what if you know because you know women you know obviously they don't have periods 24 7 obviously not that would be a nightmare <laughs> but what if that was what what if that's like the only detail that mattered to him because there are things in the bible you know for you know and other religious texts that says something along the lines of you know that you know bleeding on certain days or not treating it in the right way is seen as unclean and what if he was just one of those like I wouldn't say Christians, you know, obviously not to a murderer, but uh, but his fanatic belief, he only latched onto certain things. And what if, you know, something like this, like they were all three on their period. What if that's the reason he killed them? It could have started out great. And then whenever he learned that fact, that was enough for him. I don't know. Quite, you know? Possi quite possibly. I mean, it's hard to get into the mind of a killer without, you know, talking to them. Is you it know? maybe... Birth, I don't know what it was like in America back in the 1960s, but certainly in Scotland, there wasn't much choice. Uh, there was actually 
almost no choice of like birth control over here back then. So was it something to do with knowing they weren't on birth control or like you said about being unclean? Um, another a YouTuber called Georgia Marie, she covered this case and she had mentioned something in her episode about the daughter of Eve. Um, kind of like what you were saying is about kind of being unclean and about yeah, as yeah. as women. And I did try to look that up, but I couldn't find how the daughter of I couldn't find what she had clearly found because when I googled daughter of Eve, it came up with a charity. Um, it, it didn't come it, up it, with any kind of religious texts. Well, and that's one of those things you're not going to have an easy time really looking into because it's a very niche thing. It's almost on like verging on, you know, um, like internet subculture is probably a good uh, analogy for this. All the, the little threads and stuff that you'll find here and stories that pop up online that's really hard to, to, to research and narrow down because there's not like a website dedicated to this. It's kind of the same thing here with, you know, with religious taxes stories and different um you know, theological, you know, beliefs and, and sub-beliefs and shit like that, um, you get into, you know, these weird beliefs that spin off from unrelated or completely wrong stories that people run with, you know, of course, also with the Bible, you know, you have years and years of years of, you know, translations and different sects that translate things into their own interpretation you, you run into these problems, you know, you have people that focus on different aspects of the Bible, and then you have the fanatics that just take it and run with it. So this may be one of those things, you know, the daughter of Eve, you know, kind of detail. It just may be one of those details that's damn near impossible to research just because there's so little information out there on it, you know, and any information that is out there could be contradictory to something else you'll find. Absolutely. You know, and that's, that's the tricky thing when, when you deal with people who are religious, because you want to try to find a, a, a concrete source to things, but a lot of the times their information that they're running off of is all in their head. Yeah. It's not something you can tangibly find. Yeah. A lot of religion is about how you interpret scriptures. So, no, I to totally agree. That's probably not something that you would know about unless you really studied Christianity and you are... Um, I struggle to call this man a devout Christian, um, but you know, I you know, call what him I mean. a fanatic. That's yeah. what I would call it. Yeah, very almost like extremist. And Glasgow, I'm obviously I'm, I'm Scottish, but I don't live in Glasgow. I'm not from Glasgow. Glasgow's around an hour away from where I live. As we mentioned earlier, there is a lot of rivalry between Celtic and Rangers football clubs. Still, to this day, half of the sectarian, anti-sectarian laws we have in Scotland are because of the Celtic and Rangers rivalry. And Glasgow, it is, while it has a extraordinary high crime rate in particular parts of it, it still is, especially back then, a very religious place contradictory i know yeah i, I was gonna say and that, that those are facts that blow my mind so that you'll find that the most religious places in the world are often also yeah. most crime riddled places absolutely um uh, my... that's a big thing too. in uh, america too uh we have uh, just real quick i didn't mean to cut you off no, there that's okay um uh we have something that's known as the bible belt states which texas yeah. is a big part of you know this is also where in texas uh, especially we don't get to buy alcohol past midnight 
We also liquor stores are closed on on Sunday. And, you know, a lot of this comes from, you know, you know, the Bible and stuff. Uh, you know, these were people who dictated their own laws based off their religious practices at the time. But you'll find that all throughout the South, you know, it's very religious, you know, entities, you know, Houston, not so much anymore. Houston's a lot more liberal uh, than it used to be. But there are parts, uh, smaller cities around Houston that used to be like sundown towns and stuff like that, where they would use, you know, texts from the Bible in their uh, laws to dictate stuff like this. And it would lead to extremely high crime rates and stuff like that. And you'd find all kinds of unsolved and uh, just uh, unsolved crimes and uh, people disappearing all throughout the South more so than you, you'll find uh, up, up north sometimes, mm-hmm. you know. So it just it, it blows my mind just that, that correlation between crime and religion. I know, which in my mind is totally, totally backwards as well. Even the connection between religion and football, I don't understand, but that's a that's a debate for another day. Um, well, the, the correlation just seems to be passion. If you're passionate yeah. about something, you're going to get angry about it. Yeah, absolutely. But my 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 point bringing up the Rangers and Celtic um, rivalry, rivalry is that Glasgow is quite a religious place and there is a lot of um rivalry is not the right word but there's a lot of to, to put it into context slightly my great grandparents were both from glasgow and both fled glasgow um because of all the religious um going goings on and people fighting over it and the violence that that protestants and catholics were kind of causing yeah um and they actually and i don't even know why this happened but for some reason they got married in like the middle of field at night i believe the reason for that was because i think and i might be wrong here but i believe that one of my great grandparents was catholic and one was protestant and they how dare they get married so it was a very secretive affair they left Glasgow and then they went on to have eight, I think, eight children, and they didn't get any of their kids baptized at all because my great grand felt so passionate that everyone should be able to choose their own religion and not have it inflicted upon them like they did. So, just for a bit of context there, because I'm aware that most of my listeners are not from Scotland. It yeah. is still a big issue in Glasgow, but it would have been a much, much bigger issue back in back in the nineteen sixties. Um, it was it was rough, and in Glasgow, Glasgow specifically. So, two things real quick. First off, I want to applaud your great grandparents because that is awesome. Yeah. Uh, second part, uh, I want to see that Disney movie. I really, really do. What Disney movie? I was making a, a joke about your, your great grandparents oh, running sorry. away, marrying off in the middle of the night. You know, oh, I and, get it. Right, so yeah. it's nine o'clock at night here. <laughs> You're fine. It's two in the I'm afternoon tired. for me. <laughs> I'm tired. You're good. But yeah, it was very hush hush, very secret, and that's just the way that kind of like my, my great grandparents were married before the 1960s. But that's just sort of how it was how it was back then so someone like bible john would probably stand out now as a religious fanatic but probably wouldn't have back then 
No, know? back then, like he he would be one of those people that can easily blend into the yeah. crowd. Absolutely, yeah. especially with the red with the red hair. <laughs> yeah, well, even the physical descriptions, like, yeah, that's like half of Scotland. He's like, yeah, <laughs> you know, I know, and I mean the the sketch of Bible John. It is very detailed, um, but and I mean Glasgow's a big Glasgow's a big place, and I'm sure there's plenty. I could name maybe three people that I'm personally related to that look like that sketch. So. While it is very detailed, it's I don't I don't know. Like I don't think it should just be ignored and scrumbled up and put in the bin, but at the same time, it's very generic for yeah. a Scottish yeah. I, person. I'm looking at the sketch right now because I had it pulled up. He he looks like even though like I live in America, an incredibly, you know, genetically diverse place. Uh, a lot of the fast food jobs I used to work at, I would have customers that look like this guy. Yep. You know, even aged up look like this guy. And apart you know, just- from his overlapping teeth, that's the only real distinguishing feature he has that would maybe separate him from your average person walking down the street. Yeah. You know, but that isn't even in the sketch. Do you know what I mean? Like, you can't see... Yeah, you don't see that. He's got, like, thin pursed lips, and you don't see his teeth. No. Which, for some people, that might be the detail that they need to, to make that connection. Absolutely. You know? Like, how far... I'm... I personally am someone who would notice someone's teeth immediately when I meet them, unless they were very, very distinctive. So, where his teeth overlap just a smidgen... Could you maybe it, they were just overlapped that you could see it on the bite mark? Maybe if you looked um, face on, maybe you wouldn't notice it. But it, it's not something that stands out. No, yeah, he just he, he looks like every second person I walk past on the street. If I'm being honest, and as I said, I could name a handful of people that I know personally that look like that look like that. So as as great as it is that the sketch is out there, I'm not sure what good what it will do now. You know. It doesn't add much, you know. That's the unfortunate no. part. Because uh, uh, real quick before uh, we move on, it does remind me of a uh, uh, like what, what we were talking about the distinction between teeth, and sometimes that might be the detail. Um, I'm one of the like like you. I'm big into like crime and stuff like that, and you know, just researching stories. For a while, I used to watch a series called uh, "I Locked Up Abroad." Don't know if you're familiar with it or not. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Uh, there was one story about a woman who was tricked into smuggling drugs into South Africa, I believe it was, and, and uh, she had a chance to get out of it by naming one by naming the person, but she couldn't a hundred percent identify the person, so the guy got to walk free, and that's when he gave a smile, and that's when she noticed the distinct gold tooth that she remembered, but it was too late because the the court system at the time said that as soon as she said that's not the guy. That was it. it. Doesn't matter if he, a second yeah. later changes her mind. Credibility is sure. Exactly. Yeah. You know, the guy got to walk free, and she spent twelve years in jail, I believe. That's crazy. Very crazy. Going back to the crime scenes for a second. Obviously, we've yeah. mentioned the um, the possible significance that all three were on their period. The fact that all of them had items stolen or they were undressed. The first thing I think of when I hear that is trophies. Yeah, that, that was uh, what I was about to bring up. Yeah, and I think that that absolutely is a is a part of it. But I don't know if he was maybe, and I might be totally kind of off base here, but 
was he trying to maybe kind of make this look like a robbery? Don't know. Um, I have my own kind of weird thoughts. So if you allow me to go on this tangent real quick, I'm yep, yep, yep. get into this mind of this killer. Um, I never thought I'd say that. <laughs> um, so, you know, coming, you know, from a religious family and living in the South, of course, I get exposed to the Bible and Bible verses all the time and you know stuff like that. One of the things that, you know, for me personally, I've always said that, you know, the Bible has a lot of good lessons, whether you believe or not. One of the things I, I liked was um, when they were talking about Passover, uh, there's a, a section where they were told, you know, like, don't be like the Sadducees or the Pharisees who go out and, and, you know, make a show whenever they fast, you know, during Passover to let everyone say, look at me while I'm fasting. I'm doing, you know, good work. Look at me, shit like that. Um, you know, they were told, no, dress, you know, uh, they, I'm sorry. They wouldn't get dressed up. They would, you know, deliberately look as terrible as possible, you know, to make a scene. So what they, you know, what this uh, specific verse, I can't remember off the top of my head, was basically saying, you know, to paraphrase is like, don't make a show out of it. Nobody needs to know what you do. You know, your relationship to the Lord is between you and the Lord, you know, and stuff like that. So, you know, dress up, don't make a big scene, go about your day like normal, you know. And so that kind of, in a way, you know, weird kind of line of thought that made me translate to Bible John was that he's trying not to make a show of it. He could have taken these things, not as trophies, but to dispose of things that could identify him, whether they had fingerprints on him, whether they had, you know, any other identifying marks that we don't know of. I don't know how well DNA, you know, study was back then, because I believe DNA was at least used by this time, but how widespread it was, how trusted it was, I don't know. Uh, well, there was, I think we get into this slightly later in the episode, okay. but there was, um, obviously there was semen found on Helen's yeah. side, and DNA was taken from that. Okay. Um, although not that that is of any use now, because I don't know, I don't, because of how little was known about DNA back then, I believe it wasn't stored properly. Okay, and then so, unfortunately got degraded to the point you would yeah. use. Yeah. They have tried to use this DNA to eliminate suspects, but, and as I said, we will get into this more later on, but because of how degraded it is, they, they can't. And another thing just about the jewellery and stuff, I didn't include this in the write-up that I did because details on it are really, really sketchy and I didn't want to put this out as fact, but I believe that some of it may have been found in that river, river craft. Um, what's the river that you'd mentioned? River cart. Yeah. Um, Helen, well, yeah, Patricia's bag was found there, but I th- there's varying accounts on what was found there, if anything was found well, there, also the who it belongs to. Body, you know, and stuff like that. Yeah. So, yeah. But I mean, it's kind of weird that he would maybe take them. I think if you were going to take them, I think you would either do it to make it look like a robbery or, or like trophy. as a trophy. Yeah, those are the yeah. two, you know, common and logical, you know, things that you would associate with this. And it makes sense, you know, for the mindset of a killer, you know, for them, for a lot of killers, this is a hunt, you know, and what do hunters yeah. do? They take trophies, you know, they like to have something to remember that. You know, and then you have those that try to, you know, get away with stuff. So they try to create these scenarios that, you know, you know, that would uh, throw or deflect blame off of them, you know, keep the heat off, you know, and, and kind of the, just to quickly sum up the tangent I was going on earlier, just, you know, basically he was, a, you know, he was a religious guy, 
So maybe he was just doing this, thinking he was doing good work and therefore disposing of the stuff to not make a show out of it, you know. That, that's kind of the, the tangent I was going on. So kind of, you know, covering his tracks, but not making it look like a robbery. But that could just be incidental. Could be a bonus part. I don't know. Like I said, I was just going off of, uh, just some tangents. Um, for those of you who are a fan of my podcast, you know I do that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> uh. No, it's it's a weird and obviously we're, we're not we're not done covering it. There's, we're going to get into some suspects in a minute, but it's hard to really... When we're speaking about this, like it's hard because there's just so much speculation and little known. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, you're talking, exactly. we're talking about it, and we're like, how much of this is, how much of this does mean anything, or you know, are we looking too much into into this? And yeah, yeah, you know, the only facts that really stay the same throughout all three cases, the only things that are really consistent. Was that he wo- that he met them all in the same place? He raped them. He stole something from the scene, and you know they were all out in the open and everything. And you know they had yeah. periods and stuff like that. And you know, and, and and that's about as far as you can get. You know, and as much as information as that is, you know, compared to other cold cases, not enough to give you any full picture. You know, and of course the 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 you know, incredibly saturated, you know, religious culture around this time and just the nature of, of religious involved murders, you know, already adds that extra element of crazy, you know, into it. Because I've done some some personal research into other cases that didn't pan out for an episode, you know, looking into, you know, the FBI's uh, profile division and everything, you know, looking at that history. I'm, I'm a personal big fan of Mindhunter on Netflix and stuff like that grew up watching criminal minds like it, it fascinates me so but i wanted to look at the actual criminal psychology and stuff like that and, and you know religious fanatics are, are kind of the wild cards you know so if it truly was just a religious fanatic and it wasn't an act there's there could be things that were that we're not even considering that were a big element to, to why he did what he did you know i know it's not something that we're ever really going to know until we find out or God forbid, if we find out who yeah. did this, because if the suspect's still alive, he's well into his eighties by now. Oh yeah. But there, um, there are some theories as to who could have possibly done this. One of the popular theories on the case is that Bible John is, in fact, Peter Tobin. Back in 1994, he was convicted of raping two teenage girls and was sentenced to 14 years in prison and moved to Paisley where he went by the name Pat McLaughlin. Despite being a registered sex offender, police lost track of him until he was apprehended for killing 23-year-old Angelica Cluck in 2006. He was sentenced to life in prison and was later convicted of two additional murders, Vicki Hamilton and Dinah McNichol. Both women went missing in 1991 and were found buried near Peter Tobin's old home in 2007. He had been married three times and all of his ex-wives reported that they had been raped and beaten by him during the marriage. The main reasons why people believe Bible John and Peter Tobin are one and the same is that he met his first wife whilst out dancing out at the Barrowland Ballroom. He left Glasgow in 1969, the same year the murders ended. And apparently, murdering, raping, and wife-beating to one side, he is a religious man and was working as a caretaker in a church when police arrested him for Angelica Cluck's murder. While police have never publicly commented on whether they suspect him to be Bible John, 
They do believe he is responsible for way more crimes than he has been convicted of and have even set up a task force called Operation Anagram to investigate his possible involvement into the other murders. A Scottish criminal pro profiler explained why they think he, is com he has committed other crimes, saying, quote, You don't usually start being a serial killer in your 40s or 50s. You start fairly early in your life, unquote. Another reason they believe he is responsible for other crimes is that they have found 32 pieces of women's jewelry in his home that have been confirmed not to have belonged to his known victims or his ex-wives. An article by the BBC stated that the jewelry was in his possessions from 1991 to 2006, and they are trying to identify who they originally belonged to, so they have released several pictures of them. The photos will be displayed on the Uncovered True Crime podcast website and on the YouTube version of this episode. If you recognize any of the jewelry, please call Police Scotland on 101. Some sources online claim that he confessed to a prison psychologist that he killed 48 women. But Detective John Swindle, who is part of Operation Anagram, commented on this rumor stating, quote, It was reported that Tobin told a psychologist that he'd killed 48 people. That's nonsense. Absolute nonsense. Tobin has never admitted to killing Angela Cluck or anyone. He denies the cases that he's been convicted of. He denies the rapes. And that's the danger with a case like this. Huge speculation that he's killed all these people. We don't know for sure. Unquote. Dr. David Wilson from Birmingham University, who we discussed earlier, does indeed believe that Peter Tobin is Bible John, saying, quote, Peter Tobin has probably been killing for longer than any other British serial killer. I didn't set out to prove Tobin was Bible John, but I would stake my professional reputation on it. David Tremlett was a reluctant wit witness, as police initially suspected he ha had murdered Dinah. He shared a hitched lift from Liphook Music Festival in Hampshire with her. She was sitting in front of Tobin's cab while he was in the back and he overheard a conversation where Tobin and said to Dinah that the Cambridge Folk Festival was more my style. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. He was trying to imply he was socially superior and that he could be trusted. This is exactly the same type of conversation that witness Jeannie Williams had in the back of a Glasgow taxi all those years ago with Bible John. Jeannie recalled how the killer seemed to want to make out he was a cut above everyone else. He talked about how he didn't support Celtic or Rangers, which was highly unusual in Glasgow, and how he didn't drink at Hogmanay. He talked about his cousin's hole-in-one at golf and that it was exactly the same technique he was using. Tobin kept his head down and rarely made eye contact throughout the trial, but he looked up at the statement and I thought, quote, you, you are looking up because you know the significance of that, unquote. I looked around the court but no one else had picked up on it. Despite the decades between the conversations, the link to me was clear and I wanted it to stand out and shout, Peter Tobin is Bible John. Jeannie gave a surname for John and she thought it was something like Simpleton or Templeton. Tobin used the name John Semple. That is a striking piece of evidence that cannot be coincidental. As far as I am concerned, the case is closed, unquote. So Aaron, what do you think about the possibility of Peter Tobin being Bible John? Well, I mean, I'm one of those people that's very visual. So without looking at a picture of Peter Tobin, which I'm pretty sure I could look up, but I'm, not, I'm just going to assume he's pretty similar looking. It's hard to tell because Peter Tobin wasn't 
caught until he was in, I want to say, in his 50s or 60s. There's not many photos available of him when he was young. So, well, yeah, you would look at him in the sketch and say they look similar. I personally don't think it's a striking similarity. And obviously his face could have changed throughout the years, you know, like it was 40 years later. So Yeah, years definitely weigh on people differently, you know, especially like even for like smokers and drinkers. You can yeah. see the, just the, the how much it changes them over the years. But I'm but it's not, you know, those kind of those kind of details aren't something that's popped up in this case. But for me, like I was talking about earlier, how I was like really big into, you know, behavioral, you know, science and stuff like that when it comes to criminology. I'm looking at two specific details. The 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 fact that Tobin had used the uh, name John Simple before, similar to Simpleton, uh, Simpleson or Templeton, which had been a, a fact that Jeannie had given out, or the fact that, you know, he gave off, you know, similar behavioral cues in the way that he acted. You know, these to me are things that you don't change when you're comfortable. You're always when you're comfortable, you know. People, you know, especially, you know, with today's, you know, self-care culture and everything, you know, about just not giving a damn what anybody says about you or thinking what they say about you. You know, people put up a front, whether intentionally or not. You know, people put up a face when it, when they're around people because, uh, you know, it's it almost like a like it's a performance. You've got to perform for these people. But when you're in your most comfortable element, when you are your most you, that doesn't change. And those are details that will always stick out when you have those moments throughout the years. You know, yeah, okay, I should be, I should clarify. Yeah, it could change given drastic circumstances. I don't, I'm not saying that's what happened here. I, I think, I, I do agree actually that Peter Tobin could very well be Bible John. You know, I'm not a criminologist. You know, I'm not a psychoanalyst. I, I'm not going to be the guy who says, oh, yes, this is the guy because I'm some dude who researched it for 20 minutes online. I'm, I don't I'm not going to try to play to that stereotype. But from everything we've said so far, all the evidence, I, I confidently like to think that that he could be Bible John. Absolutely. There's so many connections between him and the case. Like the fact that he met his wife in the Barland Ballroom, which that on its own, obviously no, because I'm sure plenty of people have met their spouse, but that with everything else, like he was apparently quite religious. He had so many pieces of jewellery found in his house, which actually is something I want to touch on quickly just to be clear about this detail because I didn't really understand it when I read it either. So the newspaper, the BBC article says that he had these pieces of jewellery in his, in his possession from 1991 to 2006. Now, obviously the Bible, John, the murders happened way before 1991. But what I think they meant was that they found the jewellery in houses he lived in between 1991 and 2006. That doesn't mean he didn't collect them earlier. You know that yeah. he didn't. He didn't have these since the sixties. I think what they mean is he'd found they'd found them in houses he lived in. Yeah, that would then. make more sense because you you know when you move and stuff, you definitely you know forget the one thing there here that's you know monotonous or whatever. Just just or uh, monotonous, innocuous. You know, little things which to him could be or or. Um, 
perhaps he had stashed him in a place that he had forgotten about. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know the evidence or the, the details behind how they found him. Um, but just, uh, just uh, going under the assumption that he is Bible John, just going with that, that makes me question and wonder who do we not know or I or are able to identify in Scotland as Bible John's victims. Because then assuming that, you know, we just take it off face value of, of you know, the 48 people he's confessing to killing and raping and stuff like that, you know, it just it makes me wonder just how far he, you know, he really went with this, you know. Because it, it does make me believe, you know, that he's likely to have carried these over the years and collected more as time went on. Um I just, I don't know. It's just, you know, these little details just, you know, really make you think. And then, you know, I'm the type of person that tries to like, I try to put a timeline in my head about where certain details fall in place and how they affect the next. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just like, like I, it's, it's, this is a theory I'm, I'm leaning towards heavily agreeing on just because everything, even though it may be circumstantial is supportive of this. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I agree. And yeah, like because they suspect him of, even if he's not Bible John, and I don't, as as you know, you said, I don't know if they even suspect him of being Bible John, but I think that Police Scotland would be very silly to not entertain that. But I understand why they haven't publicly said one way or the other, because I doubt that there's a way, because there's no DNA evidence. I doubt there's a way to conclusively say he's not. And I think Peter Tobin was very well known in Scotland. Um, I wouldn't go as far to say he's a household name, but very well known um, in Scotland. We don't have... we, We have had serial killers up here, don't get it wrong. We absolutely have. But it always is like really big... When something like that happens in Scotland, when a big crime is committed in Scotland, everyone in Scotland knows about it. It's not always just, you know, to the specific area that people know about it. If it's big, we all we all know. There's only five million of us. It's not a big country. I mean, there there is a reason why a lot of serial killers unfortunately get away here in America. A lot of it's due to size. A lot of it's due to local custom customs versus you know state legislation and stuff like that. Um, you, you got police forces that are, they either don't care or they're understaffed and they just can't get to it. And, you know, yeah. just the, the differences, you know, compared to like, you know, Scotland versus here, when we look at criminal cases like this and mass murders, it's just, it, it's really striking because if, you know, knowing what we know and the same thing, the same exact situation happened here in America, one of two things would have happened depending on where it was in America. They either would have found him immediately because, like I said, the northerners aren't as religious as they are down here in the south sometimes. Um, or it wouldn't have even been known. We would not know to even connect the cases together like this. And Bible John wouldn't be a name that exists. You yeah. know, and, and that, that's the striking thing to me. You know, it, it is, you know, location is, is a big thing because, you know, like you said in Scotland, when you got something this big everyone knows yeah you know it's what it's one of those yeah it's it's a very small country and i mean i live um the place i live in scotland is called perth um it's the smallest city in scotland i only live about 20 miles away from dundee which is bigger um 
not by much, but it's bigger. I couldn't name you one case that's currently happening in Dundee or Glasgow or Edinburgh or whatever, but there are several cases that everyone in this country has heard of. Bible John certainly is one of them. Peter Tobin, I would say, is close. The most recent, and it wasn't even a serial killer, it was a a few years ago, a 16-year-old teenager went into a... um, a house kidnapped a four-year-old girl and did awful, awful, awful things to her and, and she died. That Scottish people were furious about that for a really, really long time. Like that was all over all over the news. So you know it's one of those things that either news here, it's either local to the specific area where you live or everyone knows (laughs) it's one or the other which makes it kind of more crazy to me that he hasn't that bible john hasn't been caught we don't know who he is yet like we we can't definitively prove it yet that's the weird and i think because of that it's it makes sense why people think oh peter tobin and bible john must be the same person but you know there there is a i suppose there is a chance that Obviously, he's he's not. I mean, because like uh, for example, there there's a big uh, topic about that in in America called the confession killers. Yeah, uh, where there's a bunch of people who was confessing to a plethora of murders and stuff like that. They were not related to in any way, but like they had confessed to over like 200, 300 murders and shit like that. You know, so it, it's just it's it's striking to to, to see that uh, that correlation. You know, just again, like I said, the difference because like. Like you said, it's either uh, with cases like this, it's either local or everyone knows. I can tell you right now here in Houston, where I live, like there are cold cases that pile up. There are stories that we do, you know, get solved pretty quickly. But I couldn't name a single one to you. I couldn't, except for there was one case that happened either earlier this year or last year. But like I said, there's so many stuff that's so much that happens. I can't even tell you without looking it up. But it was a a little girl who uh, was taken, I believe they found her body out of state and everything. Um, but it was a little girl, unfortunately, I believe um, I could be completely wrong on this. But the story, I believe, was that her mother's boyfriend or her stepfather it was, I can't remember the details, had taken her out of state and uh, unfortunately defiled her and killed her. And it took like five months to find her. And unfortunately, they, they found her and it was the worst possible news that the mother could receive. But uh, that was the only thing in, in recent memory that ever stuck out, you know, to me. Because and, and that's only the latest. There's, I guarantee you, there's probably been at least 30 to 50 that's happened since then. Probably. And I, and I couldn't tell you a single one. I mean, even same with my hometown. Um, not wanting to kind of deviate off the subject too much, but even in my hometown, yeah, I would struggle to name one... There has there have been murders where where I live. There there absolutely have been. I would struggle to name one off the top of my head. But I mean, they were big at the time. It's it's the ones that are that are going kind of viral, for want of a better phrase, viral over Scotland. Those are the names that okay. that you remember. You know, or yeah, unless yeah. you know them, you know, those are the cases that that you remember. Or if you're personally connected to. So, yeah, God, God knows if Peter Tobin's Bible John, but I definitely like I said, like I said, I'm convinced. Yeah, you know, 
I I think it's a very, very, I wouldn't go as far as to say I'm convinced, but very, very strong, very strong possibility. Yeah, there's at least a strong enough correlation. I, I will say that. Absolutely. Absolutely. However, there have been other suspects. Another suspect in the murders is John Irvin McInnes, who was said to have strongly resembled the police sketch. He was questioned over the murders and took part in a lineup to give Jeannie the chance to identify him as the man she and Helen had shared a taxi with the night that her sister was murdered. But she was unable to say for certain if he was the same man. Years later, Jeannie made a public statement saying she was sure that John McInnes was not the man who killed Helen. John was never arrested or charged and he died by completing suicide in 1980. Even after his death, police heavily suspected he was Bible John and in 1996, they exhumed his body and tested his DNA against the semen found on Helen's leg. Sources really differ on the results. Some say they didn't match, others say it was inconclusive. However, years later it was found that the DNA was not of good enough quality to test, so this really doesn't tell us a lot. John's family were hounded by the media after his name became public, with people all over Scotland convinced that he was Bible John. The Scottish government have apologised to his family for the pain and suffering they've experienced because his name was leaked. And just to be clear, we are not implying that John McInnes was Bible John, and we fully respect that he is not here to defend himself or clear his name, and that everyone is innocent until proven guilty. Another theory is that Bible John was a police officer. John Beatty and Paul Harrison, both of whom are former detectives, do not only think that Bible John was one of their own, but they believe that they know exactly who it was. Here is Paul Harrison's account of what happened when Jeannie came to the police station to look at photos of potential suspects. Quote, when she pointed out the man she thought was Bible John, Beatty told her she was mistaken because she was pointing to one of his detectives. Unquote. Joe Beatty was, at one point, head of the Bible John investigation and was investigating one of his own officers as possibly being a suspect, but was allegedly told by the powers that be to drop that line of inquiry. According to Paul Harrison's book, Dancing with the Devil, he also claims that several witnesses from the Barrowland Ballroom had seen Bible John with a police badge. Paul Harrison elaborated on this saying, quote, I got calls from bouncers who worked at the Barrowland, who told me they believed the killer was a cop. Some of them had gotten into a fight with a well-dressed man at the time of the killings, but he had produced a warrant card and told them to back off. Later, they matched the Bible John photo fit to the man they'd beaten up. Unquote. The man he suspects of being Bible John is apparently retired from the police force on medical grounds, is very religious and currently lives in the Highlands. But Police Scotland deny that any officer was ever a suspect as they released an official statement saying, quote, To our knowledge, it has never been suggested that Bible John was a police officer. These murders are still unsolved and we would welcome any new information that comes to light. Unquote. Could Bible John have been a police officer? My answer to that is absolutely, of course he could have. <laughs> There's nothing in the case, in my opinion, that sticks out at me that says, oh, absolutely, because of A, B, and C, he was a police officer. But why wouldn't, why couldn't he have, why couldn't he have been? That That's also, you know, being an American, that, that's something that, that's very prominent with me because not only do we have cops who get away with legal killings out in our streets all the time, unfortunately, um, there are actual killers who were cops and, you know, killed privately and stuff like that. 
you know, um, the Golden State Killer, what was his name, Vincent something, you know, he was a former police officer who was, you know, proven in court due to uh, DNA testing. He was the killer. You know, he was the Golden State Killer. Yeah. You know, so you do have, you know, bad cops. You do have the really bad seeds, you know. But the, the line that stuck out to me, uh, the, the last quote that you read, you know, to our knowledge, has never been suggested that Bob John was a police officer. And then you have all these bouncers saying, no, we think it was a cop. And he produced a warrant card and everything, you know, at the time, you know, it just to me saying, like, it looks like you're trying to hide something or, or dismiss something immediately, either because, you know, or you just don't want to acknowledge the possibility. It would look awful on police. Scotland yeah, if one of the own was a killer. It would look horrible. Yeah. You know, it would look really bad. And while um, we I'm, I'm not going to sit here for one second and say that our police service is um, the best that it could be. I have family members who are ex-police. Um, I'm not going to sit here and say that our police system is perfect. I know from personal experience it's not. However, we while we perhaps don't have the same issues that are going on in America, or maybe at least not to the same degree, there is a lot of corruption in in police Scotland, there, 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 abso- there absolutely is. No, I was going to say, you know, there's, there's uh, another thing that kind of just sticks out to me is, you know, uh, uh, two things. Like, yes, police officers also tend to protect their own. I get the mentality. You know, these are people you work with every day in a very dangerous environment. I understand that. I don't I'm not going to sit here and say it's justifiable, you know, because if that gets in the way of convicting a killer, that's a problem. But it also stuck out to me because of a detail about all the bodies just being splayed out openly, you know, just like he didn't care. This strikes to me as a detail, assuming that Bible John was a cop, if the body had been found for any reason around the time that he was close, you know, he could just pull that out and being like, I was called to the scene X, Y, Z, you know, I'm here to investigate, you know, and all that. So it's as if he, he carried that badge around as, his form of immunity towards anything, assuming that Bible John was a kill, was a cop, you know, which could play into why he didn't care, you know. No, abs- absolutely, it's it is a possibility, and I think especially with the DNA, DNA was only, to my knowledge, DNA was only found at Helen's, um, on Helen's body, and that could quite have possibly been because she fought for her life so hard that the DNA sort of transferred. Yeah. DNA wasn't found on the first two women. Now, that could have been because he used um, a condom, who knows. But back in the 1960s, I don't, I don't really know if DNA was a thing back in... Like, I don't know what stage DNA was at in Scotland back in the 1960s. However... I'm pretty damn positive that the only people that really would have known about DNA would have been the police. So it strikes me yeah. as weird that DNA wasn't found on the on um, Jemima and Patricia, but it was on Helen. Yeah, and you, you would think they would be, you know. Typically in a lot of older cold cases where rape was involved, yeah. you almost always found semen. They didn't give a shit, you know. So it, it just it strikes me, 
you know, the, it, it seems like he, as much as he didn't care, he took great care into what he did, you know? So, and, and you know, most people aren't detail oriented like that, but due to their professions, cops have to be detail oriented, you know, to a degree. If they're going to be a good cop, let me emphasize that. Cause I also know a lot of shitty cops who don't care, unfortunately. Everything about this seems, he, he seems like a very organized killer. And again, I'm not going to sit here and say that, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not a criminologist, so I don't, um, I, I don't really know all the, all the official terms. Yeah, but he does seem to be very organized. These, they were done in almost identical fashion. He was alone with them long enough to sexually assault them, and on two occasions, totally take off all of their clothes. You would have to be very comfortable to know that you've got the time to do that and not get caught. This seems like it was planned out. You know, it's not like he tried to rape them. They fought. He brought a knife and stabbed them to stop them resisting. You know, this was thought out well. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, interesting thing about why, you know, we, uh, what was his name? Uh, Doc, what, David Wilson or whatever is from Birmingham, uh, and how he pointed out like uh, how he thought Peter Tobin could have been the killer because not only did he live in the area and had known associates in the area, but that the killer would have been comfortable killing because he was from the area. But if it was a police officer, police officers would make their rounds around the city all the time. They will also be familiar with the area because they have to walk it and, and patrol it all the time. So you know, who knows. It's such a hard case, and I mean, hope's never lost. I mean, you, you mentioned the Golden State Killer earlier. He's what late mid to late eighties, and he was he was caught. And he was found forty what forty five years later, only because yeah. DNA testing was advanced enough to do it. Like they couldn't even test his DNA up front. They didn't test his DNA up front because he wasn't even a suspect. The way that they got him was because uh, I believe it was like a second cousin or a nephew or something like that had voluntarily given their DNA in an unrelated, you know, event, you know, to this uh, DNA bank. And this DNA bank had used, you know, just just cross-referenced all of that information, uh, you know, uh, cross-referenced all the DNA that they had stockpiled in there. To the 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 semen that and the other DNA evidence that they found in all these cases, and they were able to make the link that way. That's how they, found them. you know. So could Bible John be found due to some other great advancement in technology or application? Highly possible, you know. But uh, due to the fact that the 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 actual sample we would have to use to test it is pretty much degraded to the point that it's untestable. DNA is probably not going to be the cracks this case. Probably not, unless um, there's a way to, you know, I know that um, DNA, I know DNA Dual Projects in, um, is in America, but I know they have done some amazing things with um, really badly degraded DNA and worked miracles and managed to get usable DNA from that. I hope that something like that can happen over here. As far as genetic genealogy goes, Scotland is way, way, way behind. 
in that department. I have, I'm not saying it's never happened, and if it has happened, please feel free to tweet me to let me know. But I am not aware of any Scottish case that's been solved through genetic genealogy. Not one. It's only something that I've become aware of through researching other cases. So I don't know if they would consider letting like maybe another lab do something with it or or foreign you know uh, a foreign specialist come in and, and try to help even even if it's just one yeah. person. you know the only other the only other way that I could think that this could get solved using DNA is if for some reason you know there's maybe another cold case in Scotland in the area that I that neither one of us know about you know and we find this case and definitively are able to link it to Bible John, and then that has usable DNA that we could compare it to. That'd be Possibly. the only logical step I could think of that could, you know, in theory, take it. But that's based on a crap ton of assumptions, you know. Yeah, I mean, I briefly mentioned earlier that I don't necessarily, you know, don't know this for a fact, but I personally don't necessarily believe that Bible John only killed three women. There was a massive gap between him killing Patricia and Jemima. Not as much between Jemima and Helen, but what there's for someone who is triggered, as we mentioned earlier, seems to be triggered by one specific thing. Whatever that thing is, what made him stop kill like what diffused that? You know, what made him stop? And the only thing I can think of in my mind is that he got married. Maybe the end of 1969, early 1970, if, you know, he had a thing against uh, adultering. Although in saying that, it seems bizarre that you would be so against adultery, but be all right with murdering people. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, possibly if he got... compartmentalized like that. I yeah. don't know, but they can do it. But I think perhaps he killed at least one person between Patricia and Jemima. Did he move away and find another bar and you know do so i mean crime in glasgow it's it's high now it was really high back in the 1960s so it's very possible that there are other women who maybe their cases are different but only slightly you know maybe one yeah. of them wasn't on their period maybe it what they didn't meet him at the barrel and maybe um no one noticed that he was religious do you know what i mean or it, what if, you know, we have rape victims that for some reason he let live. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, unfortunately, it's a, it's a big thing that sexual assault victims don't talk about it. Absolutely. You know? And a lot of it comes from people, you know, not taking faith and initiative in what they're saying, you know, and doing something about it. Or that maybe the police think, well, he didn't kill you, so it can't be the same person. But maybe this victim didn't have the one triggering thing that made Bible John want to kill folk. Yeah, and it's just it, it, it's so much speculation that you can't prove, it's in, and would even if you could, probably wouldn't hold up to any courtroom, you know, no. legal proceedings or whatnot. And it, it it sucks. It sucks being you know having those. It, it, assuming that you know this would eventually happen with this case, but I've I've read up on other cases. It sucks having all that information. You know it's true, and legally you can't prosecute. You know, because that happens in some cases that I've researched and it's just it's mind blowing. It's, it's like you as a human being in every moral fiber that exists within you gets enraged by that, you know, 
and it just because it's just baffling sometimes you know it, it just blows my mind what people are capable of you know and and, and just even kind of like going back to you know um the, some of the victims that he had gone through it just it makes me also wonder what details did they miss that, you know, somebody would have been able to use that as the definitive, you know, smoking gun, if you will. Um, you know, cause there's, you're human. You can't get everything. You can't possibly no. get every possible scenario in your head to make that connection. I get it. But it, it's like, I often ask myself, what did they miss? What do we not know? You know, that those are always the questions that bother me whenever I research, not only my own cases, but, you know, whenever I come and come on and help you with yours, it's like, what is going on? You know, what else can we find out there? And then, you know, the, the cyber sleuth in me sometimes wants to come out. But obviously, for a case like this, it's irrelevant. Um, it just blows my mind. You know, the things that we don't even know, we don't know. I know. It's, it's a crazy case. I'm sure it's one that people like us and creators like us will continue to, even if this person's found, will continue to speculate about for for years. It's um it's sad and by no means do I think that we know everything that no, I think not. we are going to need to know in order to to catch him unless obviously Police Scotland have got something up their sleeve that we don't know. But you, you'll find them once in a while, you know, those cold cases that are 70 plus years old and stuff like that, that do still get solved to this day, you know? So, you know, it, it's important for people to keep talking about this stuff. It's important for, you know, creators like us to bring out these stories because even if they don't get solved the day we, you know, we publish our, our content, that doesn't mean 10 years down the line, somebody won't hear it or somebody won't find something related to it and be able to push that forward because people kept talking about it. So people still remember it, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. These are, these are people that we, you know, sometimes, you know, even myself, I'm very guilty about this where I'll be researching these details uh, of stories. And and I have to remind myself, these were people, this actually happened, you know, and there's only one undeniable truth in, in my opinion. And that's experience. What you experience can never truly be translated into words. Or, or even in, in pictures and in videos or whatever evidence you have for these cases, experience to me is the ultimate truth. And that's something you'll never get unless you were a part of it. And, and for cases like this, where there's so many questions and loose ends and, and things that we don't even know where they could lead, it, it's just like an event that happened and then was gone. You know, almost like it wasn't a human being that was doing this, you know, as a weird kind of esoteric way to say that. You know, it, it's just Bible John just seemed to exist for a short period of time and then faded into obscurity, you know, and, and in his wake, you know, we had three confirmed victims. I, I couldn't sum up the case, the case better myself, Aaron. Um, I think you've, I think you've hit the, the nail on the head, <laughs> the nail on the head there. It's been over 50 years since Bible John's last known victim was killed and it's terrifying to think that this man has been wandering the streets without detection ever since. That is, of course, assuming he is still alive, as Bible John could possibly be well into his 70s or 80s right now. While it's easy to get caught up in the sensationalist media that serial killer cases often attract, please remember that at the centre of this case should be three young women who had their lives taken away from them too soon and in horribly violent circumstances. Patricia Docker, 
Jemima MacDonald and Helen Puttick. May you rest in peace and I hope that justice is served even after all this time. I'm now going to give you a description of what Bible John may have looked like. He was a Caucasian male, was between 25 to 30 years old in 1968 and 1969. He was approximately six foot tall, had a medium build, short fair red hair and blue-grey eyes. He had an overlapping tooth on the upper right side of his mouth, was well-dressed and often wore a military-style watch. If you have any information on Patricia, Jemima or Helen's murders or you think you might know the identity of their killer, please contact Police Scotland on 101. All photos and sources related to this case can be found on our website, uncovertruecrimepodcast.co.uk. Thank you, Aaron, for coming on the podcast and talking about this case with me. Of course, it was a joy to be on. Thank you. Um, at some point, and um, not necessarily maybe the near future, but at some point soon, I will be over on the Files Obscura podcast and I will let you know when that will be. Um, Aaron, do you want to um, tell listeners where they can find your podcast and your social media? Absolutely. If you enjoy my voice and uh, want to hear some content that we have on our side, you can go ahead and follow us. Uh, find us on uh, Spotify, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, YouTube, or wherever else you might listen to uh, podcasts, except for Apple for some reason. We used to be on Apple, and I'm trying to fix that, but I don't know what's going on with that. Um, but if uh, we have a more just general conversation approach to our topics, um, we could do cover true crime from time to time, but we also cover a variety of other stuff, such as mysterious events, crazy places, or just obscure stories. Uh, and I'm usually joined with a few other co-hosts, so we have a more you know v- variety of personalities that you may get into if for some reason you don't like me, and you know to each their own. Who wouldn't like you, Aaron? Come on. <laughs> You're a very likable guy. If you like our, our chemistry that we have talking on uh, talking on today's episode, just just keep a lookout for the future. There might be something on the horizon. Yeah. Stay, um, watch this space, as they say. Um, and again, thank you for coming on. Please go check out his podcast. Um, if, if you like what I do over here, you certainly will like his approach. So please head on over and give him some support. I'll put all the links for File Obscura in the description or show notes of this episode. That's everything I have for you today. Thank you for listening to the very end. Please stay safe and have a good night. Thank you.